We are preaching on the cross this morning. Uh, Almost fell for that one. Luke chapter 23, and I'll be preaching on the significance of the thief at the cross, or the thief's significance. I don't know if you've spent any time thinking about the thief here that got saved and kind of what was going on here at the cross. But let's read some scripture this morning, uh, beginning in verse 39. And the Bible says, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ... Save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour. And there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now let us pray and ask God to bless the message this morning. Our gracious Father, we come. Lord, we we love you. We thank you for the work that you did for us on Calvary. And Lord, uh, without the cross, there'd be no resurrection. The cross is important. It's an important point in time in history. And Lord, uh, mankind receives the cross one of two ways. And Lord, he said to those that believe it's a blessing and it's the power of God, and we understand that. We thank you for shedding your innocent blood on the cross. If there be any here this morning that's lost, Lord, I'd, I pray that the Holy Spirit convict them that they get saved today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Now, of course, we're this week, I'm got us around the cross. I believe that the world calls this was Palm Sunday. And this is Jesus' triumphant uh, uh, journey into Jerusalem. And now I'll fast forward us a little bit to the crucifixion. Because next Sunday I want to preach on He arose, uh, the resurrection. And everything hinges there. If Christ uh, would not have uh, arose the third day, our preaching would be in vain, the Bible says. Our faith would be a vain faith. Uh, But uh, the the truth of the matter is that there is an empty tomb. And there's an empty tomb even today. Uh, His bones are not there. Uh, Christ rose from the dead bodily, not a spirit, but bodily. It had flesh and bone. But here we see him on this cross and so much is going on here at this time of the cross. Uh, We see uh, we're past the trial where he was declared no less than three times that there was no fault in him. 
And then he is led away. He is scourged. And I spent a little time this week reading secular history. There was a number of historians. Uh, one that comes to my mind by the name of Josephus that was alive during this time. And he wrote about this account. There's also uh, uh, some other folks. I didn't write them down. But I was kind of amazed that there was some other people that had witnessed this or was alive during this time and in this area and had talked about it and recorded it. So even secular history says that this man Jesus did die at this time. And we see that even in death, Christ reconciling those unto himself. And I'd like to point out a few points and bring some things to your attention that I believe that are significant things that happened, namely with this thief that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ that day. Now, both of these thieves uh, probably had been part of an insurrection. They were thieves and uh, robbers, and so they had been given the death penalty. This is how uh, the Romans, that's how they enacted the death penalty. Oftentimes they would chastise you with cat and nine tails, uh, and then they would crucify you on a tree. It's a very gruesome experience. And so these two guys were sitting here, and they had been crucified alongside of Christ. But what I want to bring to your attention is that both of these thieves, because Matthew records it, both of them, when they were on the cross in the early stages of this crucifixion, both of them were mocking the Lord Jesus Christ. But somewhere, and Luke picks it up about the time that this one malefactor, as the Bible calls him, sees the light of the glorious gospel and repents and begins to get on the other malefactor, more than likely one of his buddies or friends, and they had been together in their misdeeds, possibly. I'm reading in between the lines a little bit. But he knew him well enough to speak to him, and he rebukes him. And he says, Dost not thou fear God? So somewhere between the time that they first got on the cross and this time uh, he had a change of the mind about who this Lord Jesus Christ or Jesus Christ was or the Christ. And he begins to say, Dost thou not fear God? I almost preached, uh, and I want to preach it, and I still will preach it, on reverence in the house of God. It seems like every week, if you kind of look out, uh, people have no reverence or no fear of God in them. They don't care if they throw their trash out on church property. And it's every week. There's beer bottles, and there's liquor bottles, there's whiskey bottles thrown into the church property. That's not me drinking while I'm mowing the grass, by the way. But they do it, and they have no fear of God in them. I don't know what I don't know what's happened. I guess it's a godless society. We had some months back a man uh, was robbing homes while we were in here having churches and using church property to store his stash. And of course, when I seen the video after church, my first thought was that poor man, he must have just got evicted. He had guns packed under both both arms. He was carrying them under the pavilion back there and he was storing them. 
I called Brother Dennis. I said, Brother Dennis, there's a guy here. And he's got, while we were in church, he's got guns. And I said, I think he got evicted. And Brother Dennis said, call the police, preacher. He's robbing somebody. I'm like, surely not. Yes. My people are on me all the time about that. Like, look, you just don't understand how wicked this world is. <laughs> and so sure enough, he was. But my point was, there's no fear of God in that man's mind. I'd have never dreamed to do something like that. I mean, if I see a nickel or a penny laying on the church property, I want to make sure it goes in the offering plate. I just ain't going to put, pick it up and put it in my pocket. If I need something, I'll ask. They got a conscience. I got a little fear of God. I'm afraid God would kill this preacher. Someone had suggested to me uh, years ago uh, when we was having some trouble, why don't you just take a severance package and leave? And I said, because I ain't in it for the money and I'm afraid I'd never get the check to the bank because God kill me. Say, why? Because I believe in the fear of God. <laughs> That's why. And this thief, he had a change of mind. Uh, uh, he had some repentance because repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. He's beginning to confess with the mouth that Jesus is Lord here. And so here's what I want to bring out. Number one, this thief signifies that there is a real point in time that Christ died. On the cross. It's recorded in all four Gospels. It's recorded by a historian by the name of Josephus. It was in a book he wrote in book number 18, chapter 3, part 3. I, it was in the electronic library, John. Uh, is there? It's probably in your, your copy too, and I hope that thing's working for you. But I happened to pull that up there, and Josephus, his book's in there. And I'm like, well, I'm going to look and see because I wanted to read it for myself. And he writes about that account about Christ being crucified. He had some things about Pilate that I didn't know. I didn't read all that, but it was pretty interesting reading. And so secular history said there was a point in time when Jesus died on the cross and this thief is significant in the fact that here he was on the side of Jesus in real time. The Bible has prophesied in Scripture that this time would happen, and it did. Books like Isaiah chapter 53 talks about the crucifixion. There's uh, some Psalms. Psalms chapter 22 talks about the cross. And it gets into a pretty descriptive thing on the spiritual side where Christ said there was bulls of Bashan that was compassing round about. You say, well, I didn't see that in the movie I watched of Jesus. Let me tell you something. Hollywood's never got it right on what really happened there at the crucifixion. They didn't really get it right when Charleston Heston played Moses either. Still like watching a movie, but it wasn't right. Don't go to Hollywood to try to identify and learn more about your Bible. And so there's a real point in time and the Bible says that there was demons and there was devils that were in the spiritual world and they were gnawing and gnashing on Christ as He hung there on that cross, writhing in agony and pain for you and I. I was thinking about that the other night before I closed my eyes and sleep. Why does God 
rehab things. Just get something new. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, why didn't God say, you know what? I'm not real happy with these prototypes. I think I'm just going to wipe them out and start all over fresh. Because that's what we do. Car gives us a little trouble. It's out of here. You know me. If something starts giving me trouble, it is gone. I don't believe in, I hate rehabs. I did a lot of them in the construction business. and Rehabs, my price doubles because I already know I'm generally dealing with a client that is crazy about dust or dirt in their carpet. And so I got to go in there like we're dealing with a biohazard uh, <laughs> pathogen <laughs> to try to keep dust out of everything. And I'm so glad those days are behind me. Hopefully the Lord allow me to stay out of that field in the future. It's not that I can't do it. I didn't like it. The point is, the Bible talks about this period of time. And then Jesus himself, he foretold of his death over there in John chapter 3. He was telling Nicodemus, he says, as Moses raised that serpent there in the wilderness, uh, and you should know something about that story. He said, so also should the Son of Man be lifted up. And if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Preaching on the cross is one of my favorite subjects. It's where the power of the gospel is. It's the power of Christ is in the preaching of the cross. And I love this time of the year because I get to preach on the cross just a little extra. And so it's a real point in time when Christ died. But I see that there is salvation at the cross. There are two thieves. One on the one side, one on the other. And there's two perspectives presented. There are two responses here at the cross on how people are going to view the crucifixion. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, about verse 18. I'll turn over there because I don't think I can quote it this morning. Uh, from memory, but I'll get there. I'll turn very quickly. It's 1 Corinthians 1.18. He says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Now the one thief, he didn't believe. There was no fear of God in him. And so he continued to mock our Savior. And he even threw in the Lord's teeth. He said, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. And that is a perfect picture of a person who calls out on the name of God, but he's doing so because here's a benefit in it for him. And that's his only motive is he's trying to get his bacon out of the fire. And I got news for you. You can say all the sinner prayer you want. You can call out on the name of the Lord and say, If thou be the Christ then save yourself and save me and you'll split hell wide open because it's actually foolishness to him and you say well how do you know that because they never come back to the house of God they're no more interested in the things of God than a dog there's a lot of them and so he says to those type of people, and we see that on this one thief, that it's foolishness to them. They would only use it and call out if it was to get them out of trouble. It's a selfish motive. 
But then he says, But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And to some, it is the Savior of life, the power of God. To others, it is foolishness. And you're going to view the cross one of two ways this morning. You're going to say, ah, it's just a bunch of junk. I'm not really too serious about that. I'm just trying to say I believe to get people off my back. Well, then you represent the one thief that died and went to hell. But then there's that other thief. And we need to spend a little time talking about him because he was wicked. He was sinful. But boy, he starts believing. There's some things going on around like that eclipse. I was reading some of the historians that were there when that happened. Oh, that wasn't just a normal solar eclipse, by the way. That was something that had never really happened on this earth. And I got news for you. When the Son of God gives His life for the people, that's something that only happened once. And all the creation was groaning together and said, Oh, Lord, because there's a curse on the creation. And they're waiting for Christ to come back to rule and reign in a thousand years and to lift that curse. There's a curse on this earth. And so it was doing some groaning. It was doing some weeping. It was doing some grieving. And that thief is seeing that. And so he's beginning to think, this guy, he's the real deal. We see salvation by grace through faith here at the cross in this thief. Let me explain what I mean by it. The thief did not get baptized. I didn't know if you've ever thought about that. So all you water dogs out there think water baptism saves you. What do you do with the thief on the cross because he never got baptized? Now, I'm not against water baptism. It is the first step of obedience in the life of a believer. But it does not save you. The thief did not get baptized. The thief did not join a church. And yes, I believe in church membership. I believe you need to be able to put your name down and be counted among the people of God according to Acts chapter 1 about verse 18, 19. said there was about 18. He says they, he said there was 120 names gathered together on a roll. And that was your original church. I believe in it. But it doesn't save you. It doesn't make you more spiritual. It might be something you do because you are spiritual. And it is biblical, and it is right, but the thief on the cross did not join a church to get saved. The thief on the cross did not do the church sacraments. So all the people that believe that works for salvation, you've got a real problem with your hermeneutics in the Bible when it comes to this thief because he didn't have no time to do any church sacraments. The thief. Now you hear me, did not clean up his life first either. He didn't have time. This was a lost, thieving, robbing, whatever he did was worthy of the death penalty and he did not clean up his life before he got saved. God took him just like he was. I believe that's pretty significant, ain't it? See, I'll give me, let me get back to that thought 
that God believes in restoration. God believes in making things new again. God will take a person who's been burnt in the sins of this life and the devil has chewed up and spit out. And when the devil's done with you, he will kick you to the curve. And then the lovely Lord Jesus Christ comes by and picks you up and he's going to restore you. He's going to renew you. He's going to create a new creature in you and he's going to rehab you like only he can do. Oh, this thief did not clean his life up. He did not make no missionary journeys. He never spoke in tongues for all you tonguers that said you've got to speak in tongues or you're not saved. Well, we got a real problem here, honey, because he didn't do no such thing. The thief did not say the sinner's prayer. You won't find that. It's recorded exactly how it happened. And the thief, now you know I'm meddling, but let me meddle, because I've been here for a while. The thief had no skinny jeans. He had no crafty words. He had no smoke machines. He had no coffee and no church donuts before he could get saved. Just one lonely, naked, dying man who asked Jesus to save him. You say, what did he do? Let me run through it real quickly. You'll catch what he did here starting in verses 41 down through 42. Number one, he confesses that Christ is God in verse 41. Number two, he confesses that he's a sinner that he's lost, and that he's receiving his just reward. Then he confesses that Jesus is innocent. He was sinless. He had no reason or no business to be on that cross because of something that he had done. And then he confessed that Jesus would rise again when he says, Lord, remember me. Quite a bit in those two verses, ain't it? Almost reads word for word what Romans 10, 9, and 10 states, doesn't it? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a title, folks. Jesus is God. That's what this thief is confessing. He's, he's confessing it. He's not confessing a little sinner's prayer. He's confessing it. He's calling out using his own words, but words paint a picture, and the picture he's painting is Jesus is God, and he's dying for my sins. Lord, remember me. He was just going to be happy with just being remembered. Think about that. But then the Lord says, Oh, you'll not only just be remembered. You won't just be a thought, old boy. You're going to be with me today. You know, only our Savior. The thief is the first convert while Jesus is in the act of intercession on behalf of the human race. I didn't say he's the first person to get saved in the Bible. 
I said he's the first person to get saved while Jesus, God manifested in the flesh, was in the very act in real time interceding and paying the sin debt of the world. And here the Lord is. He's not so consumed about with his own worries and his own problems and his own agony. And he right there in the very act, Jesus was a multitasker. That's because he's God. So while he was doing what God had told him to do, he's saving this thief who's calling out to be remembered. Then I see there's life after death. Jesus promised this thief, this man who did not have time to clean up, this man who didn't have no time to put money in the church uh, offering plate, And I believe we need to do that. And if you're born and blood-bought by by the Lord Jesus Christ, you ought to want to help the church. But it ain't going to save you. (laughs) And I'd be a charlatan if I tried to weave that around to where you you would be better (laughs) or it would get you farther if you did. Now, you might give, and you should give because the Bible says to give, because you're spiritual and you're happy because of what God's done for you. Amen. Grateful. Now, if you're like that other thief, you'd never put a dime in the plate. I just threw that in there free. But I do want to make that clear. You can give all the money you want to a church and it will not get you into the presence of God. It'll burn up. But I do still stand by what I said last week, week before. If God didn't get your money when you got saved, I'd check up on what you call saved. Amen. Good preaching, preacher. It is. But keep the things, remember, stay in the right lane. It's not going to save you. But I see life after death. There's, this, this, this is the significance of the thief he was promised life after death for merely believing and you see the grace of god you want to know what the difference is between mercy and grace mercy is imagine some knucklehead steals your car you know the one that you really like the police catch him so you need to come down here and identify him you walk into that interrogation room and you look at that knucklehead across from you and he said and you ask him did you steal my car yep i sure did you say you know what i'm going to have mercy on you i'm not going to press charges that's mercy but then grace is you walk into that same interrogation room and you ask that thief did you steal my car I did, sir. I did. You say, you know what? Not only am I not pressing charges, I'm going to sign this car over to you because it's apparent you need one. Plus, I'm going to give you a job and get you a job. I'm going to give you some money to tie you over to you and get a job. That's grace. And that's what Jesus is doing to this thief here on the cross. It's for by grace, God's riches at Christ's expense are you saved through faith. This this thief, all he had was a little faith. 
The thief said, just remember me. And Christ states he'd be more than a memory. Let me ask you this question. Could this thief be considered the least in the kingdom of God? <laughs> I dare say this is deathbed repentance, wouldn't you? And I don't put a lot of stock in deathbed repentance, but uh, that's pretty much a deathbed that this dude's truly believing. And he's getting saved. And God said there's a place for him in paradise. But something else that's significant is Christ's work is finished. The Lord said over there in John 19, verse 30, he says, it is finished, and then he gave up the ghost. You say, well, what did he mean? Well, it meant that propitiation had been made. That means God was appeased from his wrath against mankind because of sin. It had to be dealt with. And our God is a just and righteous God and the death of Christ, His only begotten Son, was the propitiation for our sins. But blood, eternal blood, innocent blood was shed for sin because that's what God demanded. And then there was a way to heaven made. But I want to get into the closing with this. There was something else that went on here. And I want to borrow your imagination just a little bit. The Bible says that captivity was led captive. Over there in Ephesians chapter 4, he says that Christ, when he died, he entered down into the lower parts of the earth. That's not the grave. Uh, he went a little farther down than that. He went down to the center, according to the Bible. He went to a place called Abraham's bosom. That's where Abraham's bosom was. And then there was a great gulf. And then on the other side of that gulf was hell. Over there in Jude, I want to say it was. And if it's not Jude, it'll be Second uh, Peter or First Peter, where he says that Christ preached to the spirits. In hell. See, what spirits would that be? That'd be those fallen angels over there that God said over there in Jude he had reserved uh, in chains of darkness. He is passing some judgment. You see, they were part of that great rebellion. They didn't think that Jesus was God. They didn't think Jesus could do what he said he could do. And so they rose up and joined Satan and said, We'll see about this, big boy. And guess what? God dropped the hammer on that group. Now, there's still a bunch of them still running around, but that group, they're reserved in chains of fires. And Christ, when he died and shed that blood, one of his jobs was to go down there and preach judgment to them. Like, boys, I told you it was going to be like this. But then you, I want to deal with this paradise. All the Old Testament saints have been waiting since Adam. You see, without Christ's blood, you cannot get into heaven. You've got to have innocent blood of God. Adam couldn't do it. Nobody born of a man, from a man, the seed of a man, born of a woman, they couldn't do it because the seed is corrupt. So it had to be a miraculous birth. It had to be the seed of God and a virgin birth. And it was. But all those Old Testament saints that had gotten saved, 
was waiting down there. They were captive in paradise, not purgatory, paradise. They wasn't paying for sin. They, they weren't suffering. They were having the easy life down there, kind of like the golden years. But they couldn't go to heaven. It wasn't quite heaven. And so can you imagine, because God gave a prophecy to Adam and Eve, He said, there's a seed coming that's going to redeem you. And Eve, when Cain was born, said, oh, I've gotten a man from the Lord. She thought that was the promised seed. But it wasn't. God said that Cain was of that wicked one. And so when Adam and Eve died, they went to that place. Now, don't ask me why it's not called Adam's bosom. I've been wrestling with that all week. I do not know. There'll be some things that I just don't know. It's called Abraham's bosom. Jesus calls it Abraham's bosom over there in Luke 16. Don't know why it was called Abraham's bosom or why it wasn't called Adam. But that's where the, all the Old Testament saints went. And then you got... Jacob, he makes a prophecy. And uh, Jacob, but before that, you got Abraham. God promises Abraham a, a, a seed that comes through his line. And so when Abraham died and he's gathered his father, he goes to paradise. And when he walks into paradise, Adam is asking him, is the promised seed here yet? And Abraham said, no, but I talked with the Lord and he's promised it's going to come through my lineage and so they waited a little longer. And then Jacob, he made a prophecy and said, Yes, this promised seed is coming, but it's coming through the tribe of Judah. And he says, The lawgiver is coming. And so Jacob is, dies and he's gathered to his fathers and he comes marching there into paradise. And so Abraham and, 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 and Adam, and they come up to him and says, Is he here yet? Is he here yet? And he said, No. But he's coming through the tribe of Judah, boys, and that was one of my sons. He's getting closer. And then all of a sudden, down through time, Isaiah makes a prophecy about Christ coming, the Christ child, and that the government would be on his shoulders. And so then Isaiah, he comes off the scene, and as he comes walking in there to paradise, they all come up and approach him and says, Is he here yet? He says, No, boys, but he's getting close. I made some prophecies. He says, It's going to be somewhere right there pretty close into the future. We're marching down to this thing. And so they got together. They're having a good time waiting on Jesus. And then... You got old John the Baptist, you come down through time. John the Baptist, he comes up on that scene there. And boy, he's preaching hellfire and damnation. And he was so full of the Holy Ghost of God that they killed him for it. <laughs> yeah, the more God you get on you, the more people hate you. I hate to, to let you in on that. They do. But old John the Baptist... He dies. He gets down there. He comes strolling in to paradise. You know, John the Baptist, he was a bold man. He says, hey, and Abraham and Adam, they all come up to him and say, hey, is he here yet? He said, boys, uh, he's on earth now. I was the forerunner. I introduced him. I preached the power in the blood. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. It won't be long. 
Oh boy, they're getting ready. They're packing things up. They're getting ready to get out of there because they know they need that blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed to lead captivity captive. And guess what? All of a sudden, this thief, the last man here, the first convert at the cross, the Lord says, today you'll be with me. Can you see it now? As he comes strolling into paradise, he wakes up like, hey, I'm here. I know I died on the cross. And they all rush up to him and said, hey, are you the promised seed? Are you Jesus? He says, no, but he's right behind me. He's coming in. He's coming here today. He promised me that he would be here with me today. And he led captivity captive. Oh, he gave gifts unto men. Christ the King, he got victory on that cross that day against the devil. He defeated the devil. He defeated death. He defeated hell. And he led captivity captive. And now according to 2 Corinthians, paradise is in heaven. Today God moved it. And then hell... The Bible says, enlarged yourself. So let me ask you, what side are you on? Do you think it's foolishness? Do you think there's nothing to it? Or you want to be like this other thief? This is, Lord, just remember me. Let's all stand this morning.